Mark Gold is traveling today, and so I will be his substitute. Uh, my name is Matt, and I do work here at the church, so it's okay. Uh, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with you. Look at us face-to-face. Isn't this nice? Uh, we, yeah, you, you can clap for that, absolutely. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Wholehearted. And what are we doing in that sermon series? We're spending some time looking at the mistakes and the sins of Israel as recorded in which Old Testament book? Yeah, that's right, the book of Malachi. We're looking at how Israel failed to show love and honor to God through their half-hearted worship because what do we want to do? We, we want to show love and honor to God through wholehearted worship. And over the course of the first few weeks of, these, of this series, we've seen that in order to show love and honor to God, we need to be wholehearted in our sacrifice of ourselves to Him. And, and in order to love and honor God, we need to be wholehearted in our obedience to Him. Last week we saw that in order to love and honor God, we need to be wholehearted in our faithfulness to Him by being faithful in our covenant marriages. And now this week we're going to see that in order to love and honor God, what do we need to do? We need to be wholehearted in our pursuit of purity. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the last verse of Malachi chapter 2 and the first few verses of Malachi 3. And so you can turn there if you'd like or else the verses will be up on the screen as well. I'd like to open our time with a question for you guys and that question is this. How has 2020 been going thus far? Right, like how is 2020 treating you? I know that for most of us, 2020 has been challenging in some way or another. And for others, it's been downright painful. Talk to somebody in our congregation who lost a loved one to COVID last week, and their heart was breaking in the midst of that. Talk to a friend who had been building his small business for 18 years, and he said to me, I don't think I'm going to make it through this. I've been working at this business for 18 years, and this is going to kill it. I talked to a mom a couple of weeks ago who said that trying to do online school with her kids while she works her own job from home and her husband has to go out to his work, every kid on their own individual device listening to a different teacher while the internet goes in and out, while Schoology goes down, that was one of the most frustrating experiences of her life. We got any moms who went through that in here? Yeah, absolutely. Talked to a high school student at a grad party for a while yesterday. Talked about missing out on graduation, on prom, on the all-night party, the kinds of things that you look forward to when you're a senior. There have been different levels of challenge and different levels of pain that have been involved over the course of this year. And chances are that everyone in this room can think of some sort of trial or challenge that you're going through right now. Maybe it's work-related. Your business is struggling your company is struggling. Your job is precarious, or maybe you've lost your job or hours. Maybe it's financial. You're looking at the amount that's coming in and the amount that's going out, and you're saying, oh, I'm not sure that that adds up. Maybe for you, the struggle or the challenge that you're facing right now is relational. A kid who's going astray. A spouse that isn't treating you particularly well. Friends who are cutting with their words. Maybe we're looking around and saying, wait a minute, where, where are my friends? 
And that's the challenge on the trial that you're going through right now. The kinds of challenges and the trials that we face in our life can be even more challenging and harder for us when we look around at people who have rejected Jesus, who are living in direct opposition to the way that God calls us to live, and they seem to be winning. They seem to be thriving. And we say, God, what's going on? I'm one of your children. Here I am pursuing you. And look at these struggles that I'm experiencing in my life. While people who reject you outright, people who live in the exact opposite direction you want people to live, they seem to be thriving, winning. Their circumstances all seem to be good right now. Are you there, God? Do you care? Is it worth doing what is right? Those are the questions that the Israelites are asking in the book of Malachi. They're facing challenge and trial right now. They spent 70 years in exile in Babylon. When they returned, their expectation was, we're back in the land. It's time for God to bless this kingdom. And at the writing of the book of Malachi, that is not what is happening. They look at the territory that they have during this time, and it's a fraction of the size that it used to be. They look at the temple that has been rebuilt, and it is a fraction of the glory of the temple of Solomon. They look at their wealth and their military might, and there just isn't any. They're growing poorer by the year. More than that, what do they see as they look around at the enemy nations around them? Enemy nations who literally sacrifice their children in the fire to false gods. What's happening with those nations? They seem to be blessed. Their military might is growing. Their wealth is growing. They've actually taken over land that used to belong to Israel. And as Israel looks at this, they're saying, God, what's going on? And they're complaining about God in the midst of all of this. And God is tired of hearing their complaints. And that's where we start our passage today. Beginning in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. Malachi is speaking on behalf of God... And he says here, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Have you ever been wearied by words? Anyone in here ever been worn out by someone's talking? Is that not a dangerous question for a pastor to ask a group of people? Right? They, they have worn the Lord out with their words. What is it that they've been saying that has worn him out? But you say, how have we wearied him? Well, here's God's answer about what they've been saying that has wearied the Lord. By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? What is the problem here? As Israel's looking around and they're realizing, man, why are we struggling? We're God's chosen people. And all of these enemy nations who are wicked, they seem to be blessed and they're thriving. They are saying, is it even worth doing what is right? Not only that, if all of these other nations are doing what is wrong and they're being blessed, is it possible that what is wrong is actually right? And and is God even present? Is he even around? They're looking at all of these wicked people who are experiencing blessing while they experience challenge, and they are questioning whether God is even present or even cares about what is right. And that can be a challenge in our own hearts and minds. When we experience things like we've experienced in 2020, 
and we say, you know, God, I, I'm pursuing you. I'm one of your children. And yet things are so challenging and so hard right now. And I look around at other people, and they seem to be doing great. People who reject you seem to be thriving. What's going on here, God? Well, here is God's response to Israel's question and perhaps to ours. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. This book is a prophetic book, and here we are talking about Jesus coming to earth. Are we talking about his first coming here, or are we talking about his second coming? The answer to that is yes. Right? We are talking about Jesus' first and second coming within this prophecy, and we're told that a messenger will come before Jesus comes to the earth. Jesus says that that messenger, that Elijah, it is John the Baptist, he says, if you will accept it. But before he comes back again at his second coming, there will also be a messenger, there will also be an Elijah that comes before that. But the main point that we want to grasp here is he is coming back. He says, I, I will come. And he, the first time that he came... The purpose of his coming was what? To save people from their sins. The second time that he comes, what is the purpose of his coming? He will bring judgment. Look at verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? He is coming to bring judgment, and he lists some of that judgment in verse 5 of this same chapter when he says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppressed the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. There are some specific sins here. God says, I'm I'm coming back to judge people who have been involved in these specific sins. Uh, They include worshiping demons, being unfaithful in marriage, lying to other people, uh, oppressing the poor by paying poor wages, oppressing orphans or immigrants, and those who will not bow the knee to God. These sins represent a whole host of sins listed in the Scripture that involve treating other people in ways that are wrong and not worshiping the one true God. And God wants us to understand that while people who are involved in that kind of wickedness may be experiencing some sort of temporary thriving, that is not their ultimate end. He says their ultimate end is judgment. Their ultimate end is that they will be judged and they will be punished. And so he is inviting Israel to see with a longer lens Don't just look at the few years here upon the earth and say, wait a minute, why are they so blessed? God is unjust. Instead, look at all of eternity and recognize that those who reject God, their ultimate end is judgment and punishment. That's so important for us us to understand and why it is so important that everyone in here recognizes why Jesus came the first time. Why did he come the first time? You know the answer to this. 
He came in order to pay the penalty so that we wouldn't have to receive this judgment and punishment. That's why he came, in order to pay our price so that we wouldn't receive this judgment and this punishment. And anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, repents and turns from their sins and turns to him, can be saved from this judgment that this passage is talking about. This is also why it is so important that we bring this message with us everywhere we go. We bring the message that Jesus came in order to save people from this judgment and punishment that is talked about here. And so God wants Israel to understand, and he wants us to understand. When you see wicked people that seem to be thriving, please understand that is a very temporary state. And that when you look from the view of all of eternity, what you see is judgment and punishment that is coming. Okay, well, that, that explains why there might be some wicked people who are thriving. But why are God's people struggling so much? Why is there trial? Why is there hardship? Well, he addresses that in the middle verses that we jumped over. Verses 2 through 4, he says, For he, Jesus, is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. Jesus is coming back in order to bring purity to his people. And that means that he's coming back to bring purity to Israel. It will happen among the Jews in those last days that their hearts will turn to Jesus as their Messiah. Romans chapter 11 says that the hearts of the nation of Israel have been hardened until the number of the Gentiles comes in. Only God knows when that has been fulfilled. But when the full number of the Gentiles comes in, there will come a time then when the heart of the nation of Israel will be softened. They will turn to Jesus as their Messiah and their King, and they will be purified, and he will rule over them upon the earth in a millennial kingdom in which there will be purity of action, purity of offering, purity of worship among the people of Israel. And so Jesus is coming in order to bring purity to the nation of Israel. But in his first coming, he came to bring purity to us, didn't he? In 1 Peter, we read that we are a holy priesthood. You, me, we, we are a holy priesthood. And God's priority for us is what? That we would be pure. He has died so that we would become pure. First John chapter two and three, uh, sorry, chapter three, verses two and three says, "Beloved, we are God's children now. Are you God's child right now? Yes, you are. You're God's child right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Are you all that God has made you to be? All that He's saved you to be?" Absolutely not. You're God's child right now. But there is something far greater to come in your life, isn't there? When will that happen? But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. 
You're God's child right now. But you won't experience that in its fullness until you stand face to face with your Savior. And at that time, you will be perfectly like him in character, totally pure. Now look at what verse 3 says. And everyone who thus hopes, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who has the genuine hope of heaven, right? What is our hope of heaven as followers of Jesus? It's that we would get more Jesus, that we'd have an opportunity to see him face to face, to walk with him and talk with him, and that we would be made totally like him in character, perfect in love, perfectly pure. And and every follower of Jesus has that longing of their heart for heaven to be with their Savior and be like their Savior. Uh, Sometimes you'll hear people espouse goofy notions of heaven that I, I, I can't wait for heaven because... I'm going to get to play golf every day and I'm going to get a hole-in-one on every hole. Or I'm going to get to go fishing every day and I'm going to catch a fish on every cast. Those kinds of things, right? And these are longings uh, of our heart perhaps here on the earth, but not longings for Jesus necessarily. Those who long for Jesus, long to be with him and long to be like him more than anything else. And what they love about heaven is that that's going to be true. And verse 3 says, everyone who has that desire to be like Christ, to be totally pure, they get started on it right now. Everyone who hopes in that, they get started on that right now and seek purity above all else right now. Now, how does God work that purity into our life? There were a couple of illustrations in the passage. Did you catch them? The first one is through the refiner's fire. How does the refiner's fire work? Well, you put a precious metal, silver is the one listed in this passage, into the kettle. And you place it over the hottest part of the flame. And as that metal liquefies and begins to bubble, what comes to the top? The impurities, right? The name for that is the the dross. The, The impurities come to the top. And what is the refiner's job? to scrape off those impurities. And as it continues to bubble, more impurities come to the surface as it's held over the heat, and they continue to remove those impurities. Now, the refiner has a very exact job to do because if that precious metal is held over the flame too long, it winds up ruined. But if it's held over the flame for too short a period of time, impurities remain. Right? You have to be held over the flame for just the right amount of time by the refiner. And he knows that the process is complete as the silver continues to bubble when there are no more impurities that make its way to the top and the refiner can see his image perfectly in the silver. Right? That, that's God's work in our life. He brings heat into our life. And in the midst of those challenges, in the midst of those trials, impurities are brought to the surface. God works with us to remove those impurities so that his image can be seen all the more in the reflection. Now, you guys, it, it does take the fire to bring those impurities to the surface in our life. I remember when I was a young adult before I got married, I thought of myself as a pretty patient person, really chill and laid back. Any of you have that false notion in your life when you were younger? 
And then I got married and I started living under the same roof with a human being. And all of a sudden, there were times of greater agitation and greater frustration in my life. And I said, where is this coming from inside of me? And then I had kids. Right? And frustration turned into anger. There, there was more than just some agitation as we were raising our family. And I said, where did this person come from? This wasn't who I was a few years ago. Well, in fact, none of these characteristics were new. It's just that the heat of raising a family brought them to the surface. And God uses those challenges and those hard times in our life in order to bring those impurities to the surface. What's the other illustration that's used in this passage? He talks about the refiner's fire, and he also talks about the fuller's soap. This one may be a little less familiar to us. Are sheep dirty or clean animals? Uh, My understanding is, now I've never raised a sheep, let me be clear about that. But from those who do raise sheep, my understanding is sheep are dirty animals. And so when you shear their wool, does it miraculously become clean at that point? No. There is a process by which it needs to be cleaned, and it is the fullers who, who took the wool through that process hundreds and hundreds of years ago. As a matter of fact, outside of Jerusalem, there was a field known as the fuller's field where they would go through this process. You would take the wool, and you would wet it and douse it. And then you would apply a very caustic soap called the fuller's soap, to the wool. And then you would scrub it with an extremely hard brush, or if you didn't have that available to you, you would scrub it with a rock. Then you would beat it with sticks. Then you would start the process all over again. You would rinse it. You apply the caustic soap again, the fuller soap again, scrub it down, beat it with sticks. Doesn't that sound pleasant for the wool? This is what God wants us to understand, that ultimately... In order for us to become clean, challenges have to be brought into our life. Growth and maturity happen most when we face challenges and hardship in our life. And so he uses these illustrations of the flame allowing for the removal of impurities, of the scrubbing with the fuller soap, removing dirt and uncleanness from our life because he wants us to understand This is what I want to do in your life. My priority is your purity. And so there's going to be hardship and challenge that comes so that that purity can take place in your life. So here's what I want you to understand. When you're experiencing hardship and challenge, maybe like you have in 2020, that isn't a sign as Israel thought it was in the book of Malachi that God is absent or that he doesn't care. In fact, what God wants them to understand is those challenges and those trials are actually the sign that I am at work in you, that that I am the refiner who is at work removing those impurities because my great priority in your life is purity. So, So don't take hardship as a sign of God's absence. Hardship and challenge can in fact be a sign that he cares about you as his child and is bringing you to that place of purity. 
when we look at it like that, it is possible, right? Now, don't shout me down right away, right? But it is possible that 2020 is, in fact, the greatest year of our life. When we view it through the lens of God's great priority of purity and recognize that trial and hardship can be an essential part of what God uses in order to produce purity, it is possible that 2020 is the greatest year of our life. And as I think about that, and as you think about that, I had to ask this question. Is my great priority God's priority of purity or the world and the flesh's priority of comfort? Is my great priority the priority of purity or is it the world's priority of comfort? When I look through the lens of God's eyes, I share that great desire that he has that I would be pure and righteous and anything that can be used in that process is good. But when I am looking through the lens of the world and through my flesh and I believe that the greatest priority that I have is comfort and circumstances that align well, then what is my response in the midst of hardship and trial? I get frustrated. I question why. I complain about my circumstances in the midst of that time. And so I have to ask myself, is my great priority in life purity like God's priority? Or is it comfort like my flesh and the world desire? If it's purity, we're able to live in a James 1, 2 through 4 state, right? Where it says, count it all joy, 100% joy, my brothers, When you meet trials of various kinds, you're not just going to face a trial or two here and there. There are going to be trials of all different kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We recognize that maturity and character is often built into us through hardship and trial. And so when we look at that through the lens of God's priority of purity, we can actually have joy in the midst of that hardship because we recognize that's what God is using in order to refine us, to bring out those impurities, to scrub us clean. Now I want to caution you because it seems to me, and I may be wrong here, but it seems to me that with each passing decade I'm on the earth, American Christianity becomes more and more concerned with comfort and well-aligned circumstances and less concerned with purity. The longer that I am around, it seems to me that American Christianity are people who love to pray and sing for God to reign, R-A-I-N, down his blessings upon us, and we are less likely to pray and sing for God to reign, R-E-I-G-N, totally and completely in our lives and have complete dominion over everything that is in us. It seems to me that we are a people who are prone more and more to pray for God to align our circumstances back towards comfort and less and less likely to be a people who are constantly praying for God to use challenge and trial in our life to produce purity in us. 
And at Friendship Church, we don't want to go along with that. We want to be a group that is countercultural and seek purity and righteousness above all else. We want to welcome 2020 and the challenges that it brings, recognizing that God uses it to bring maturity and completeness to us, according to James chapter 1. And we recognize it's hard, it's difficult, but we want to see with the eyes of God His primary priority of purity and work towards that as a people. As you think about the challenges and the hardships in your own life, whether they're unique to this year or whether they're something else altogether, what I want to remind you of is this. They are not a sign that God is absent. They are not a sign that he does not care. They are a sign that God is working his greatest priority into your life, the priority of purity. He is holding you over the fire so that impurities can be removed. He is scrubbing you with that fuller's brush so that dirt can be removed from our life. And so don't see the challenges that you face right now as God's absence and say, God, do you care? Where are you? Instead, recognize, God, this is a sign of your deep care in my life. And you are using these things in order to bring about the purity that is your greatest priority in me. Would you pray with me for that purity for us as a congregation and for each of us as individuals? Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you, we recognize that we face challenges and trials. And those look different in every person's life that sits before me right now. Today we have seen the way that you love to use those trials and those challenges in our life in order to produce greater purity, greater Christ-likeness in us. We accept that. We not only accept it, but as James 1 says, we live in joy in the midst of hardship because we can go through it with you, our loving God, a God who has embraced suffering and who ultimately uses it in order to bring about good in us. Lord, we pray for your perspective, for your eternal perspective and the eyes that see purity as the greatest priority. In Jesus' name, amen.